0: all right it is week nine. Oh man we are far in this in the college football world here um week nine college football stupid versus spread uh let's talk a little headlines here mike because there were a few big ones we're not going to talk about the iowa um ending with that wave off there were a couple big missed officiating calls we're not going to touch on those people have probably heard about those ad nauseum three big pieces of news uh Michigan is in hot water. Um, whether it's Harbaugh's knowing or not uh, is immaterial, but uh, they have been caught essentially scouting other teams, which is technically illegal. Um, before uh, they would play them, they'd send out a scout to go watch their games.
1: In-person scouting. Is yeah, illegal.
0: in-person scouting, which is exactly what they did, which is very weird because it's the one thing you're not supposed to do and they do it. Um, thoughts i mean how big how big how bad does this get for for michigan
1: i think it gets bad because like they it's clear the that, is pretty
0: well, it's pretty clear cut it's venmo taking that. ga ticket <laughs> yeah it's <laughs>
1: that and it was it's been clear that the ncaa has had a bone to pick with harbaugh ever since uh like the covid incidents happened and this is yeah. one where they will like throw the book at him for something that's relatively minor, like this law or law. This NCAA rule was instituted because um, because teams didn't want to pay to in person scout people. So you can say that it's a stupid rule, and it probably is for teams that can afford to do it. But they need a uniform rule to be able to administer across Division One football, and so they landed on this, which is fine. You like you're a member it's a membership organization. Michigan's a member of the NCAA; they gotta follow the rules. Uh to me it's there's two points that I think like yeah this is going to be very bad for Michigan I think it's very funny one how blatantly obvious this was yes. um because like y- and it, it just keeps getting worse every day like the, today it was the Venmo screenshots where the the staffer paid uh, for the Georgia ticket or paid somebody for his Georgia ticket from the, the semifinal last year and captioned the Venmo payment, GA, like, (laughs) (laughs) like it doesn't get stupider than that. And like, he bought all the tickets in his own name. Um, there's like pictures with the laminated, uh, he, there's like still still frames of his laminated card on the sideline. And it's just pictures of guys and their hand signals. Like, um. So like, his only job on the sideline was to look at the other coaches and figure out what their hand signals meant. Um, it, it's just it, like it keeps getting the the evidence keeps getting funnier to me. Right, like the the regardless of what you think of the accusations, it's very funny how like obvious. Like, it, and today too, last one the video. I don't know if you saw the video from the the Ohio State game last year where. uh, Ohio state like did a breakdown and then they look back at the sideline for the signals to adjust the play. And like the whole Michigan sideline stops and they're all watching the coaches. <laughs> and then as soon, as soon as they finish the signals, like the, the staffer looks down at his card and all the defensive players in the sideline are pointing to the sky as if to say it's a pass. like <laughs> It's just so, it's so obvious. And like, and you could say that that sign stealing in the moment, but it, it, with all the other evidence it's very funny that it just very clearly was not
0: um it's it's also funny because like i think matt rule uh said it the best it's like he, i'm paraphrasing here but it's 2023 just let coaches and players have microphones in their helmets like it yeah is not yeah an that's been the, anymore
1: the, that's been the complaint too like it's not that expensive to put hel- like Helmet mics in and just not have this be a problem. Um, yeah,
0: 20 years ago, it was not anymore.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, but the other funny part too, is like, you know, for you and I, this guy was apparently like a former Marine staffer, a staff whacker that got Michigan to hire him with like with a LinkedIn bio that says something about doing most likely course of action, most dan- dangerous course of action analysis. And, uh, And center of gravity analysis, which (laughs) (laughs) is just the ML CoM MD Co thing is so funny because it's a very basic concept.
0: (laughs) it's not 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 complicated.
1: complicated. Um, and then the like center of gravity thing is something that the Marines teach, but it is not like very complex the way they teach it like they teach it to very very lower level soldiers but in a very like dumbed down way because center of gravity analysis is like extremely theoretical and comes from Clausewitz (laughs) so it's like the fact that this guy was his selling point was that um to to Harbaugh was like he's some sort of military mastermind and he landed on let's just try to figure out what the play call is uh, it's just so, to me, so funny. Uh, so yeah, overall, I find way more humor in the the like, obvious. the other part too is like for a guy who you paid to do like critical vulnerability analysis as part of center of gravity analysis, and then never thought about his own vulnerability of like, just being the most <laughs> obvious sign stealer of all time it is one of the funniest like ironic. Yeah, tricks. yeah. It's just, it's all, to me, like, from our unique perspective where we sit as two veterans, like, it is very funny. Um, It's just
0: such a ridiculous series of events that makes it so college football that it's honestly funny. That was my takeaway, is that, like, only in college football would this be such a ridiculous series of, like, events. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and, and like the 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 other like ironic part of this too is like it's so minuscule and like half like ninety percent of these games, Michigan had the Wasta to win them very convincingly anyway because we talked about how much of a joke Michigan's schedule has been and granted they're kicking everybody's butt like ass and this is probably why. Um, now I, they're still better than most of these teams, but they're they're absolutely trouncing people probably in large part because they have all their signals, um, but. Like, this could be an, a program-changing trajectory sort of punishment for something mm-hmm. that's so, like, obviously stupid and against the rules and, like, so poorly kept under the rug. Because it, there is a world where they're not a death penalty sort of punishment, but, like, a multi-year ban and, like, scholarship loss and, like, significant impacts to the program. And Harbaugh just says um, – like, I don't want to do this anymore and just go to the NFL. And then Michigan right. loses the best coach it has had in three decades, probably. And like, sorry, Lloyd Carr, but, you know, Harbaugh's success the past few years has been outstanding. Um, and and his consistency has been there. He just couldn't beat Ohio State until a couple of years ago. Um and all of that may happen because of this like one guy who didn't think to set up a ghost Venmo and use Visa gift cards. Like it's just yeah. <laughs> all of it is so wild, series of monumentally movies. dumb and hilarious from the outside looking in.
0: Well, the only thing we know is that it'll take like a couple months to really pan out here too. So oh, year like a year, yeah, yeah easily, a year or longer, yeah. So now or never for Michigan. Um, the other two big storylines, JMU is on fire uh, and probably worthy of a bowl game, I would say. Probably worthy of a very nice bowl game. Uh, if they keep playing like this, unfortunately, they're not bowl eligible. and It's gotten to the point where like, the state legislature has started threatening the NCAA, the Secretary General or something. I don't know. Somebody, somebody wrote a... Uh, uh, Multiple. I think the governor maybe m- wrote multiple letters to like the NCAA president. So it's not so much news, but as we go on, it'll be interesting to see whether JMU is allowed to be uh, in a bowl game because it is it is theoretically possible if if there are not enough eligible teams, JMU will become an eligible team even though they have an eligible record because they're within that two year window of jumping. But I think JMU certainly deserves it. I think it's for the benefit of everybody that you know, a now undefeated still in late October, JMU gets an opportunity.
1: Yeah. I think where this, like, this may come up is, because imagine if they had a 12 team playoff this year and JMU had the potential to be the best G5 team.
0: And yeah, they very much. And
1: then this would, they would sue. Like, this would be like this, this would be a major problem for the NCAA. So I, uh, and granted the NCAA doesn't, the, the NCAA's answer would be like, we don't control the college football playoff committee. Like that's your problem. Like go bark up their tree. Um, but yeah, this is, that's where this could become, but also the, the college football playoff committee would be like, we didn't select them because they're not bowl eligible. So like, um, it, uh, and that's an NCAA rule. So it, it's, yeah, I think that's where in the, I don't know that this necessarily spawns in anything. Cause I really just don't think enough people care about like bowl games. You know, it, it's one thing when it, like not everybody on the team gets a free pair of headphones and like a trip to, you know, mobile, but it's different <laughs> when I think it's a player being ruled ineligible for an unjust reason or something like that, where, you know, the, the harm, there is a little bit more tangible and obvious. So, um, yeah, and I think it was, like, the president uh, of the Senate pro tempore, like, the, basically, like, the the head of the Senate in the state legislature of Virginia uh, was the one who published the letter. But, yeah, I, it's it's going to come to a head at some point. It's just going to be, like, once the NCAA pisses off somebody with enough, like, money, uh, ego, and spare time to actually file a lawsuit that some of these NCAA rules will come toppling down fairly quickly because they're just – they're clearly afraid of future um, – Litigation.
0: but Yeah. Uh, last big, uh, I agree. I mean, uh, at some point, uh, NCAA just has to realize that it's a losing battle for them on this one. Um, yeah. And probably others, especially as you go forward with teams making the jump. Now, whether teams make the jump and have this level of success is, is another thing. But Yeah, that's certainly this is happening. Kind
1: of a, this is kind of a unique situation, but it really would be like a, a perfect storm if this had happened next year to JMU and they were you know, the best G five team that had a shot at a playoff spot, uh, and the money that comes with that. And then the NCAA wouldn't allow them because of this or like rule without any sort of, you know, waiver exemption or anything like that. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, other big story line. Um, so there are big losses and there are bad losses, uh, big losses, UNC USC both lose this week. Um, I would say the UNC, no offense, was a lot worse than the USC. Um, oh, Oh, one hundred percent. And then there were some big last-minute collapses. Uh, Duke, Duke is an iffy, fifty-fifty, but Duke in the lead as a fourteen-point and not covering Tennessee, similar situation, takes the lead, doesn't cover, and then at the end, I don't know if anybody else saw this, but the Army LSU game, uh, thirty-eight seconds left, LSU has the ball, they are up fifty, like eight to nothing. And instead of just kneeling it out, they run. It's a breakaway run. Touchdown. The overhits. <laughs> so, thoughts and prayers to everybody that had that, that under in the LSU game as well. But, yeah, as far as Duke-Tennessee, what do you think was – I'm guessing you're going to say Tennessee, but you think Tennessee was, was the worst blow it?
1: Um, yeah, because, like, they they came out in the second half and really played not to lose that game. Like, Duke, I think – One, in general, like a fully healthy Riley Leonard, and this may be a very different conversation uh, about the ACC generally um, and about Duke and Florida State specifically. But once he gets re-injured in that game, Duke just never was going to have the offensive horses to compete with Florida State, despite how well their defense played and how quick a lead they got out to in the beginning of the game. And I I think Elko has some questions to answer as far as, like, why was Riley Leonard really – forced back into the into a game from the outset or even allowed to play because you know his i think his answer was like you know we he said he was good to go he was moving okay like we we didn't feel like he would be as limited as he ended up being and um but i think you know part of the calculus there is as a coach you've got to be the voice of reason and tell the player for his own good because the player's always going to want to play you know hey you know, this isn't necessarily the one we're undefeated. We need you to go beat Louisville. We need you to go beat other teams. We need you to compete for an a- the, our first ACC title game appearance in mm-hmm. God knows how many years. Like, it, it, they, you know, as much as you want to beat a ranked team on the road, this is just not the spot we need you in. So um, I think that's probably where Elko went wrong. But as far as Tennessee, yeah, like you come out of the second half, you're completely dominating ten- or Alabama on the road and – Milton turned right back into a pumpkin and they just, they they played like they were playing not to lose the game as opposed to really going out and and cutting this, the head off the snake in Alabama and credit, you know, credit to Alabama for coming out as sort of a different team in the second half and hitting more explosive plays and getting themselves back into that game. But um, yeah, Tennessee, I think had a chance, like you still gave up a 13 point lead. uh, And I think they only scored what, 10 more points on offense in the second half and gave up. Yeah, I believe that's right. I mean, they might not have scored in the second half because I think Uh, they were up 20 to seven. I think the game ended like 34, 20. I don't know if Tennessee scored in the second half and you give up like 28 unanswered points. Uh, They did
0: not score in the second half. They they scored 20 in the first half and then did not score after. Yeah.
1: So like you can't come out and do that as a, as a team in that spot. Uh, that's that's much more pitiful than Duke just not having their guy that they needed to even compete in that game in the first place.
0: I would agree. I would agree. And and you know, they, I mean, look, they just played poorly in the second half. And Alabama's a good team, ish. I mean, they're not. They're a good team compared to other college football teams. They might not be a top ten in the league, um, but still, a very good team. Uh well let's hey, let's talk about the games coming up this week. Uh first one, first kind of big one. And it's not a ranked matchup. There's only actually um two ranked matchups this week, but uh South Carolina at Texas AM, noon kickoff, South Carolina's fourteen point underdog, over under fifty four. We mentioned this one because this, as you put it, Mike, is the does Jimbo get fired game if Texas A and M loses this
1: uh yeah i mean i think it has to be like they the donors will line up to pay his buyout and he will be gone if they lose this game um and now that could go one of two ways like either they come out and step on the gas uh, and really dismantle south carolina because the Strength of Texas A&M is their defensive line. South Carolina has one of the worst offensive lines in the country. And for two offensive coaches in Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino, this is – I think South Carolina ranks like 115th in pass defense. Um, so, like, th- this is the game where if you're going to get some things right and really, like, put up a performance that makes people even start to think that you have a shot of turning this around, like, this is the game you do it in. Um So that, like I said, that either turns into that's what you do or they're feeling the pressure so much from being sort of, you know, alleged to be losing their jobs that they sort of turtle coach scared and and this game ends up a lot closer than it should be. Um, My original thought on this was just because of those like how bad South Carolina's defense has been to just take the Texas A&M team total. But it's currently at thirty four, and that's with a backup quarterback and Max Johnson, who hasn't exactly looked good um, the past couple weeks against Tennessee and against uh, Alabama. So, i I don't have a read on this game, like it's just because of the uncertainty here. Um, I think fourteen feels like a perfect line, and and obviously, as we get later in the season, we're going to say that more because you know Vegas has a lot more data points to point to to be able to say that. You know, or to be able to set these lines accurately, so that way they hedge their losses on either side. But, um, yeah, I I would have said, and I still think like the lean here, if you're if you're on any part of this, is the Alab or the Texas A&M team total. But uh, I'm staying away just because of the volatility with Jimbo and the psyche of Texas A&M right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm on the same boat. I I. I disagree that he'll get fired if they lose this game, but I am staying away from it. Um just because of how volatile I think both teams have really been, truly. Um, but I think if you are Texas AM, there's really no benefit to a midseason firing except to appease the fan base. And I don't know that there's any value in that. It's not like
1: Well, I think the you, NFL
0: where you're an ownership team, right?
1: Yeah, I think you 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 get to the head of the line for coaching searches and, like, um, I think that there are some candidates, besides, like, Michigan State, Northwestern, like, programs that you're clearly better than. And there might be some candidates this year that you're going to want first crack at. I think Elko, specifically, is going to be probably the biggest name on the market, if I had to guess. You know, Leipold has, had, has done it more consistently, but Duke has remarkably turned around in the year and a half that Elko's been there. Um, and, and it's not like he came from obscurity; like he was at Texas A&M before that. So, you know, if you're going to yeah. go get a guy, that's kind of a good guy to go get. Um, so that that's if if the impetus is there. But I, I think the other part too is, you know, for for Texas A&M, it, the buyout doesn't really change that much. And you know, you know, almost at this point that you know, Andy Staples made this point today. You know pretty much at this point that that Jimbo's not going to get you to where you want to go, which is competing for national titles, because he's had six years to do it. He's had the number one recruiting class, and he can't. He's proven sort of that he can't do it. Um, and I think that you know he raised a really good point that next year at the end of the year you're going to be back in the same conference as Texas. You're going to have a last game of the season date against Texas, and Texas is currently trending towards they are going to be a playoff contender for the next couple years. Right. Um, you know, as long as one of Malik Murphy or Arch Manning is as good as yours has been or like similarly good, they're going to be right back in the hunt next year. So if you go into next season with Jimbo going into that game and he looked like this, it's another eight and four, five and or seven and five, season and texas is like in the ascendancy to the a and m grads that with the money that's just not going to be acceptable so if you if you really want to have a chance to make any sort of marked improvement before that game comes um which they do care a lot about you need to make that move this year and you'd rather get a head start
0: yeah, I just think that the buyout is going to be a huge, huge sticking point. And because you've already offered that contract to someone, if you're bringing in someone similar or of a similar caliber, the, the expectation, and this is where A&M screwed themselves, is that that money is, is there for the next guy too, right? Not only is that money there for the next guy, but the buyout is similar. And I think that's where they're going to have a lot of sticking points, a lot of difficulty maybe finding a similar caliber coach. Uh, as opposed to letting Jimbo maybe try and figure it out over the next two, three years. Because maybe we haven't seen it this year, but this is the years that these recruiting classes are starting to have matured. And I don't know that getting rid of... Like, if you see success next year for A&M, it it entirely could be Jimbo's recruiting as opposed to the new coach that you fired Jimbo for. So we'll see. I mean, it'll be very interesting. I, I think we kind of both agree we're staying away from it. But I think it'll be... It's an interesting hypothetical for, especially if AM loses this game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's like the only reason to watch. And in a, in a week's slate, you know, it's like I think especially in that 12 o'clock window besides Oklahoma and Kansas, this is probably like name brand recognition wise, the biggest game. I would agree. That's why, that's why you're watching this game is to see if Texas A&M blows this and this turns into a complete dumpster fire and, uh, in Texas,
0: I like it. Sorry, I couldn't,
1: um, I couldn't think of the town. College Station. Yeah, <laughs> I just completely blanked on like where Texas A&M was, and uh, yeah, College
0: Station. Uh, okay, uh, Oregon at Utah is three thirty kick. This is a good one. Um, even with Cam rising up for the season, that news broke last week, uh, right after the Utah game when Utah uh, won. Uh, against usc uh you so oregon's at utah oregon six and a half point favorites over unders 48 330 kick uh i'll let you go first mike
1: yeah so this will be my first play of the day just uh for the record Uh, so i did i said it on the nfl podcast i didn't say it here uh the in after the two weeks we had off i was 12 and 11 um last week went five and five so updated overall record is 49 42 and one Uh, push that's 53% and we're still up five units. Um, kind of been limping through the middle of the season here. Um, but we're still, we're still putting points on the board. So that's good. Um, so when I go to, uh, Virginia to legally wager, um, I'm going to take a Oregon minus six and a half. Call me like a Utah doubter. I just like, they can't keep beating teams that are better than them both on paper and with a backup quarterback. And I know how hard it is to play in Utah. I've been wrong on this so many times. I just think that those situations were somewhat different because of um, the, like, because of Cam Rising and having a fully healthy team with, like, a Dalton Kincaid. And even earlier this year, I stupidly picked against them because uh, I picked a freshman quarterback to go on the road in his first Pac-12 start and somehow win a game in Utah. And that was stupid um last week i picked against them because i had a backup quarterback playing caleb williams turns out caleb williams uh is kind of a fraud the last two weeks and (laughs) kind of has not played really well all season um so yeah like i I, i've been wrong i think more on the opponents than like don't get me wrong utah putting up what is it 34 at usc is still a win that also sucks Um, this is the most complete team that Oregon has played so far, or sorry, that Utah has played so far. Correct. Um, And they did get shut out in Corvallis. Now, granted, being at home is, is a lot different, but it just, to me, this feels like a spot where you have a veteran quarterback who's been in tougher, like just maybe not tougher if you think Utah's the hardest place to play, but some of the toughest environments in America, including like at Alabama and at Georgia and um, you know, the uh, all over the SEC. And a defense that can actually play like hard nose. this is not Cristobal's Oregon like we talked about. This is Dan Lanning's Oregon. Um, and I think that this is just a team that, you know, like with the, this, you know, even how close that Washington game was, they aren't far off. They're very much still in the playoff hunt. They have a lot of belief, you know, that Bo Nix is going to take care of the football. He's not, he's been pretty conservative this year. So I think all that to me adds up to this Oregon team is pretty good. I still think Utah like put a lot of energy into that game. I think that they were maybe psychologically trying to float until rising came back. Now that that's not happening, you, you got to go with backups for the rest of the season and it just feels like they're gonna run out of gas. Utah is at some point in one of these games against a a really good team that's going to not embarrass them, but really like really beat them soundly. And and it's between Oregon and Washington, and I, I just think I think it happens this week, coming off a very improbable victory at USC. So. Uh, yeah. And the cash, you know, obviously most people are on Oregon 74%, but the cash is also 77% on them. Um, and I just think that if, especially if Oregon jumps out early, like this game could get ugly pretty fast. Um, and I just think that Oregon has the chops to play a little bit of a, a boxing match in this one. So I'm going to take Oregon, uh, laying the points it's still within a score. So I'm pretty comfortable there. So yeah. Uh, give me Oregon.
0: Yeah. So I, I mean, I agree with what you said. Um, it, Utah is a very good team, but without cam rising, they're going to struggle eventually against some of these perennial teams, right? These perennial contenders. I would love to think that Utah is destined to go back to back and, and take the big pac 12 again, but th- I don't see that happening. I think this starts to fall and collapse here. Um, it look, they've played, they played USC very well. They beat them. Uh, and I'm, I am a Utah fan for sure. Um, I just don't see them beating – like this Oregon team almost beat Washington, and I think Washington's the third best team in college football right now. So if you're asking me if a healthy Oregon team with a healthy Bo Nicks, with an experienced offensive line with Bo Nicks taking care of the ball, is not going to cover – Yeah, Oregon have, almost beat them
1: cover. at Washington too. Like not yeah. – you know, like to make it a, a little bit more – like Oregon it might be like the fourth best team in the country. And we
0: Correct. Correct. And, and I think too – you know, this is silly to say, but if this is a night game at Utah, maybe something's a little different. But a three thirty kick, I don't, I don't, I think that Oregon can easily handle this game and come out on top by a touchdown or more. I, I agree with your your overall assessment. I just think they're a very, very good team against the Utah team that's beat up. Yep. Uh, Next game on the slate, Duke at Louisville, the other ranked matchup of the week. Uh, Also a 330 kick, which stinks because you'd like to see those spaced out. Uh, But Louisville is a four-point favorite over under 46 and a half. Uh, Mike, I don't have a play for this one. I I lean Louisville just because of how Duke collapsed at the end of last week. Um, I don't know about yourself, but to me it was just... Injuries seem to pile up, and I don't know that those injury problems go away at Louisville a week later.
1: Um, I'm on the opposite side and I'm on the under, um, I, this is more about, I think, uh, Louisville is very fraudulent. And I think the one thing that Duke did show is that their defense can compete with pretty much any offense in the country. Um, because we had some doubt about that right after, after Notre Dame Duke's uh, defense obviously played pretty well. Their offense just wasn't able to score. Um, And the going to, so like we had some doubts because, you know, Notre Dame's offense really is not, and has not been that good. Even against USC, when they put up 40, they were given 21 points. 21 of those 40 points came on short fields. So, um, And nothing that Notre Dame's offense since like week one, because they played week zero and week one, nothing that they've done since then has been particularly impressive. So, um, so I think that was the question still was like, you know, Duke facing a really, really high powered offense in Florida state. Like, what would that look like? And they were effectively able to, to shut down Keon Coleman in the first half. And they were, um, you know, they, they were very good at, you know, limiting a lot of the things that has made that have made uh, Florida State successful throughout the season. So, I, I just think Duke's defense is for real. I, I think Leonard will play, but I think obviously Louisville's defense played pretty well against Notre Dame, like, and for the reasons I just talked about. I don't know how to put how much stock to put into that performance, um, mm-hmm. and they played well against NC State, which with Brennan Armstrong has not been the team at all that. Uh, that they have been since, uh, since they made the quarterback change. So like Louisville to me has just been very suspect. Obviously they lost the game to Pitt. Um, I know I think they're coming off a, a open date last weekend. And I know this game is at, uh, is at Louisville, but I just, there's not going to be the same juice in the stadium. It's a three thirty 30, not a 7.00 PM kick. And I just, I do think Duke is the better team. I think that their defense is better coached. I think that Duke is playing really, really good football and they know the kind of talent that they have. Whereas I don't think Louisville has the same self confidence. I know that they got a lot of juice from that win. I know that like they are going to be, um, they're going to be fired up. But I, I just, I need to see it. And I, I, watching some of the way that their offense played against NC State. Um and the first half a little bit against Notre Dame, I just don't think that they're going to be able to really figure out this Duke defensive puzzle. So in a game like this, I think it probably is pretty tight. And so I that's why I think Duke getting four even on the road, um, I, I would not be surprised at all if Elko really has some some unique wrinkles for Jeff Brom and uh, and Jack Plummer. And then overall, like I, I just I think this game stays relatively low scoring pretty close throughout i wouldn't be shocked if, like i th- I think duke probably wins it outright but um i wouldn't be shocked if louisville necessarily wins i just don't know if they cover so i'm going to take the combo here i'm going to take duke plus four and the under 46 and a half 46 and a half feels like so many points for these two teams Yeah. Like, so i i do it's just so so many points um sorry i last point i did look at the the splits for this one um Slight edge on the cash toward Louisville, sixty-one percent versus fifty-five percent of the tickets. Under is catching seventy-nine percent of the tickets, uh, compared to fifty-four percent of the public on the over. So, uh, the the splits there speak to me on the under. I just have a little bit more belief in Duke than I think uh, maybe the public does.
0: Yeah, so I, I also have the under here. It's more of a percentage play just because of the difference in money that's on it. But, yeah, I don't know how these two teams I, – I can see it, right? But with the injured Duke and two good defenses, seeing you know division rivals or interconference rivals rivals uh, put up 50 on each other is going to be surprising to me. So 46.5 feels like, especially in these AACC games where – you see scores, it's like 7 to 18, and you're like, oh, when did that come from, right? I think this is one of those games where you'll get a weird score um, no matter who covers, but I think it'll be under 46.5, so I agree with you. Uh, last game of the week, Tennessee at Kentucky uh, is the one we're going to talk about. 7 p.m. kick, Tennessee is 3.5 point favorite. over-unders 51.5. I will tell you, Mike, I got Kentucky plus 4 here. Let's see. I, okay. So, look, I, I don't love it, but Tennessee has collapsed in the past, I don't know, three weeks. Uh, they have played incredibly poorly. Um, and, look, Kentucky's kind of the same way. Not really, though. And I'll get into that. But Tennessee's wins have been uh, UTSA, who's a decent team, South Carolina, who is not good this year. Texas A&M, who we've discussed, is not good this year, and Bama, who they just fell flat on their face with. I think that's going to carry over for this week, whereas Kentucky has played two very, very good teams in Georgia and Mizzou over the past two weeks and lost, but crushed the rest of the SEC. I think Kentucky can come out here on at home uh, in a night game and, and at least keep Tennessee within four points or three and a half, um, so I, I'm I'm taking Kentucky here. It's also um ninety-one percent of the money, fifty-six percent of the bets are on Kentucky, but ninety one percent of the money is so I'm gonna ride the money as well. So also a, a system play that we do. Um but yeah, I like I like Kentucky here plus plus four. I think coming off of two bad wins, they're gonna be hungry for a win. They're not a bad team. They're a very good team who just got beat by two good teams. Um so I think they're gonna come out fire and get get pretty angry. And I think Tennessee, who's maybe been on a little who's been a little downtrodden because they haven't played that well this year is, is going to struggle. I mean, if you remember, this is the team that lost to Florida in the second or first week of the, of the season, right. By, by more than 10 points. Um, so I expect, I expect Kentucky to come out here firing a little bit.
1: Um I, I like the logic. I, I really wanted, like, when I first heard, like, remembered that this game was this week, and I heard that the line was Kentucky plus three and a half at home, I really wanted to take them, but Devin Leary has just been, or not Devin Leary. Yes, Devin Leary. Devin Leary. Um, Devin Leary has just been so bad, and if this were last year's, like, Tennessee defense with Joe Milton playing offense, this would feel like a lot better spot, but Tennessee's defense has played pretty well. They've been able to pressure the quarterback and that's just not the type of team that like teams that can get after the passer and play well up front. Obviously you know Georgia being the prime example, Kentucky just hasn't handled well. like they need to establish the run and get after teams like this. The one The other thing I will say, this is a very emotional rivalry and specifically on Kentucky's end, they really hate Tennessee. Um, I think Tennessee likes to think that they're like better than their rivalry against Kentucky. Um, And they really consider their rivalries, especially in football to be like Florida and Alabama and Georgia. Um, You know, Tennessee cares about the Kentucky rivalry when it's basketball time, but when it's football time, Tennessee is like, Oh, they're, they're peons. We beat them all the time. Like this is not a thing. So I think that where also works in your favor. I think that's kinda of underrated here because you know, you have a veteran coach who's been in this rivalry before, and knows how to get his guys juice for it. Um, so I think you're on the right side. I just I I need to see Devin Leary like do it. And I think hypo and that defense, they're going to they're going to take away the run and they're going to force Leary to pass. And I just that's not a, a proposition I'm willing to uh to get behind. So I will stay away.
0: I don't hate it. All right, Mike, uh, let me run you through my picks and I'll, then I'll let you go with yours because I only got five. Um, I have uh, North UNC, North Carolina back uh, minus 11 and a half and a comeback off that awful loss. Um, I think they're still a very good team. I still think there's room for them to make the playoffs. Uh, if a few- there,
1: there is, but they need help. Uh, like right. I, I'm, I'm with you. Like they're going to, there's no way they get there on their own, even in 11 and one with a win against Florida state, let's say in the ACC championship game, if you have a one loss pac 12 champ, that's either Oregon or Washington and a one loss Texas. Like you're not getting in over either one of those teams. Um, because you know, your one loss pac 12 champ won't have a loss. That's as bad as Virginia. Um, and your one loss, uh, like Texas or Oklahoma, even if Oklahoma loses a game here down the stretch, it's probably, like I said, probably not going to be uh, as bad as Virginia at home. Uh, and then, cause it was at home. That's also very embarrassing. Um, and granted it was our fall break. I'm not blaming you on that, but there was nobody there. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and a one loss Texas would have avenged their only loss to Oklahoma. So, like you need help. You need a two loss um champ in one of the other P five conferences to get there. It's just like it's classic North Carolina. Like whenever there's expectations, you just lose a game. You shouldn't lose it all. Um and you just kind of shit down your leg and and that's the way that North Carolina's story goes. Um this was I just you know, you were obviously you and I were texting back and forth. I wasn't able to watch, I was following along uh on the box score, and it just it felt like you take all the punches in the first half and you come back out and you're up. I, I think they went into the half still up 17, 14. And so like you say, okay, this team has adjusted very well throughout the season coming at a halftime. Like that, you know, they took Virginia's best punch. Clearly this was a letdown, sleepwalk spot for us, but second half, we're going to come out and play and they just never got it going again. And, and, Virginia was like one of the worst teams in football in running the ball and they ran for 250 yards. Like Gene Chiswick's defense just turned back into a pumpkin. Drake May, who has been good, not great for the entire season. Pretty much, you know, he's taking care of the football well, but his completion percentage has not been high. Just something's going on there. Cause I think De- Ted Walker had like 19 targets or something crazy like that. Um, just a very, very horrible loss that you just can't have if you're a program that aspires mm-hmm. to be any better than like a top 30 program. And, and but you know, Mac said that they ate the cheese and or ate the poison cheese or whatever the term that he was, he was using is that they got a little full of themselves. And yeah, they did. But like, if you're Mac, you have to like, I, Mac's not the guy to lay into his players like the way they need to be laid into after that game. Um, but I think the rest of that coaching staff will like you have Freddie kitchens on that coaching staff, believe it or not. Um, you have guys like who are going to get emotional about it. And so I, you're, my logic is the same as yours. Like if UNC is the team that we've seen all season and they're not, and that, that was just a college football loss. And those games happen, like they blow the doors off of Georgia tech this week. There, this isn't, there's nobody else on the schedule ahead. Like they play Campbell next week at home before they get Duke. So you're, it's not a look ahead spot. Like this is a road trip. So they're away from the noise of it noise. If you call it that being in Chapel Hill of, you know, the disappointment of this loss. So this is a great opportunity to go on the road, go beat up a team that's not good and get your mind right to go into the back end of this season with a chance to, to have the most successful season for, North Carolina football in a decade. So, um, yeah, I think if, if this season is going to end the way you want it to, it has to start here. And so that's, that's the logic here. I'm, I'm right there with you.
0: Yeah. I also, um, other picks, I said, Kentucky, I'm going to take the Kansas OU under 65 and a half. That's just a system play more money than uh significant more money than, than, um, uh, number of tickets are on that. I gave Duke Louisville under uh, 46 and a half. And the last one, Fresno state minus seven and a half uh, at home uh, in a late night pac 12 game against UNLV. Um, Fresno state's a very good team. Um, they've played very, very well with the exception of a loss to Wyoming. And we, we both, I think Mike agree that Wyoming's a very good team. Um, so I don't, judge especially fresno in, losing especially that in laramie yeah yeah uh unlv also six and one not a bad team but just has not played the caliber of teams that uh fresno has played i like them laying the points at minus seven and a half i'm gonna wait to see if the line drops a little more to seven or six and a half but uh 45 of the bets 81 percent of the money another system play keeping it simple because i had a terrible week last week i went like one in one and eight in, in my picks. Those were some of those were ads from last week, but uh, very, very poor performance for me. So trying to try to right the wrong here and, and flip it over.
1: Mike. Uh, so I have nine games on my card. Uh, I'll go chronologically here, starting in the 12 o'clock window. Uh, Houston plus 17 at Kansas State. Um, this is another system play, and I I, under, I completely understand the logic, so I'm all over it. of the tickets are on Houston. Uh, 90% of the cash is on Houston. Uh, This is a look-ahead spot for Kansas State. Um, They play Texas next week. Houston, coming off of a game where they played Texas, uh, they lost by three uh, in a game where they sort of got screwed on a no-call by the refs. um, or I think it was pass interference that was called against them when it definitely shouldn't have been. Um, And they would have... Wait, I might have that wrong. It should have been, I believe. It should have been pass interference because Houston had the ball on third down and they threw a pass. Should have been pass interference. Would have been first and goal, I think. Instead, it was fourth and three. They didn't get it. Um, so Houston's pissed off. K-State's looking ahead. Uh, this is a perfect spot for Houston to go to. I know the game's in Manhattan, but this is a perfect spot for Houston to go there. Early kick. Uh, K-State will be looking to next week there. I feel like this is going to be another, you know, we talked about this before we started recording. This is going to be another sleepwalk week. Um, last week kind of was that, you know, on top of, um, you know, obviously UNC and and USC playing very bad games, but you had Washington, Oklahoma kind of almost, you know, spoil themselves too. Uh, so I, I think this is another week we get that cause it's a lot of home dogs and a lot of, uh, teams that, have expectations going on the road in spots where they're probably looking ahead to the rest of their schedule and not too focused. Um, and this is one of them, obviously not a road game, but yeah, this is one of them. So uh, give me Houston and the point 17 is a lot for a Kansas state team that typically runs the ball better than they throw it plays a lot of defense. And Dana's got his guys playing hard. So I'll take the 17 here. I think they keep this game close. Um We talked about Oregon minus 16 and a half. I'm taking an alt line, which I try to avoid on this show, but I found it at 120. Um, So if I can get that when I go gamble legally, I will take this. Um, But I'll give it out here. Uh, Georgia minus 14. We didn't talk about this game. Georgia-Florida, world's largest uh, cocktail party, largest outdoor cocktail party, I'm sorry. Um, Georgia minus 14 is currently minus 120. Um, I... This is a game where Kirby, I know they don't have Brock Bowers, but this is a game Kirby cares about this game. And he's starting to get lose some of these battles on the recruiting trail against Florida. Um, we saw this last year when, you know, the halftime speech, when he like ripped into the players to keep scoring. and they, Or maybe it was two years ago when the game that Dan Mullen got fired for. Um, he clearly cares about embarrassing Florida every time he plays them. Um, And I just, I think this team is better. You know, I, I, everybody, I I think this line is artificially close because of how Graham Mertz played against South Carolina. But as I said earlier, that's South Carolina, this is Georgia and Mertz is not going to be able to throw the ball as easily as he was able to against uh, against South Carolina. He's taking care of the ball extremely well, but I think that this is going to go back to a much more vanilla offense than what we've seen recently and I think Georgia is going to come out and want to make a statement against their biggest rival in football, I would say. Well, and maybe Auburn. I think you can make the argument there. Um, but Georgia, in a, in a spot where Kirby wants to reestablish that he has the superior program and wants to do that every year, I think this is a spot where 14 feels like a low number, given the talent disparity and the way these two teams have played overall. Like best. Versus what we usually see from Florida, Georgia is way, way more than 14 points better on a neutral field than what we've typically seen from Florida this year. Uh, so that's why it's dropped all the way to 14 and a half. I think, or uh, yeah, I think is what the minus 110 line is now. Um, it opened, I think, closer to 17. So I kind of love uh, that for Georgia. I think this this is a spot where they could crush Florida. I wouldn't be shocked to see this like 21, 28 point victory. Um, I'm going to take Washington minus 26 and a half uh, at Stanford. Their sleepwalk game was last week. And Stanford is coming off a win against Colorado and a big win for their program uh, in which Mm -hmm. Colorado just sort of let them back into the game after going up 29, nothing. And it was all basically due to like the one wide receiver who had like 300 yards and Colorado just not managing that game. Well, I think even coming down to like, Travis Hunter snaps like if you're if you're Dion and and, you know this is a point to be fair fairly critical of Dion here if you're Dion and you're up 29 to nothing why is uh why is Travis Hunter still playing both ways like why aren't you you have and and the thing to me too is you're up 29 nothing I know how electric Travis Hunter was in the first half of that game offensively but you have guys you showed that against USC that you have kids who can play wide receiver. Like right, you don't need to wear
0: the kid out. weaver, You've second, got yeah.
1: number four, or whatever that freshman's name is. Like you've got, you've got dudes who can play wide receiver. You don't need Hunter where you need Hunter is to stop any chance that Colorado can come back in a secondary. That's already down woods. And like, you, you don't have the dudes on defense. And the only way that Stanford can get back into this game is if they score, like put your best player solely on the defensive side of the field. And Hunter played 157 snaps in that game. When you had a 29 point lead, like that, that is just, that's horrible game management back. And I know that, like, Dion's very much about exposure for his guys and getting his dude's looks. And, like, it, it's part of his pitch on the recruiting trail is, like, I'm going to let you do what you want. If you want to play 150 snaps a game, if you're that kind of player, we'll play you that way. But to me, he could have been served with, like, a little bit of a dose of, let's get a win here. Let's go bowling. Let's show that this is continuing to work. And he just, like, I really thought he mismanaged the way he played Hunter in that game. So that, sorry, that was a complete aside. Uh, And I know we're running along here, but um, all of that to me adds up to Stanford really should have never been in that game. Um, And Washington had its sleepwalk game. I know this is still on the road, but to me, like this game, Washington realizes, okay, we can't do that again. They're going to come out and want to get – it's a get-right game for Washington. Stanford already got their game that they won that they shouldn't have won, so they won't care anymore. There will be nobody in that stadium. Um, so there's no home, like, electricity to worry about from Stanford's perspective. Like, I think this could be, like, 56-7, to 42-7, somewhere in that neighborhood for Washington. Um, so give me 26 and a half. I feel like this number should be closer to, like, 30 – like, Penn State is a 32 and a half point favorite against Indiana – why is Washington, you know, almost a touchdown less against a team that's arguably worse? Um, and, and I get you could say that it's because Penn State's at home, but like, re- but really, that many points? No, give me Washington. Um, I'm gonna take Ohio State, uh, Wisconsin's under 43 and a half. I really, I originally thought about Wisconsin here as a home dog. I think they're catching 14, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes, they're catching 14 and a half. But, mm-hmm. uh, like, Ohio State's defense has been dominant. Wisconsin is a, has a backup quarterback, and Braylon Allen's hurt. So, like, this really could be, like – and Ohio State's defense has been so good. And defense travels. Like, I it, there's just – I can't see a world where – Wisconsin's able to score. So you say, okay, if Wisconsin's not able to score, how do they keep this game close? And it's Kyle McCord comes out and lays a dud. Wisconsin hits a couple trick plays and this game is close throughout, but it's relatively low scoring. So I, I think in either scenario where Wisconsin somehow covers 14 and a half, um, or if Ohio state just puts their foot on the gas and blows this game out with a, 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 a like resounding defensive performance combined with like a, a B plus a minus offensive performance that still keeps you under 43. Like I, I just, I have a hard time seeing a world where this game's even like 43, uh, 14 Ohio state or like, you know, 27, 24. Like it, it, there's, there's just not that many scenarios where this game goes over 43 and a half. So I know it's a low number, especially for, you know, a team like Ohio state, but give me the, give me the under there. Uh, we talked about UNC and then uh, late night snack out west, uh, Arizona plus three and a half. Um, Oregon State goes on the road to Arizona. This is a game that like nobody, nobody wants to play Arizona right now because they're frisky. They play hard. Fish is a good coach. And like everybody looks as this as a, a stepping stone to the bigger things that they want to do in the Pac-12. And like Jetfish is just going to keep picking teams off here. Like I think Vegas is adjusting because three and a half is a little bit scant for this. But Arizona has played really good defense and DJ has not been great both on the road against defenses that have put in a lot of effort. So uh, all that to me adds up. And I think the, the book spread here is um, it's on my side. Yeah. 68% of the tickets on, are on Arizona, but 86% of the cash uh, on Arizona. It's like I said, relatively small spread, but Vegas seems to agree with me. So I'm going to take Arizona plus three and a half there. So nine picks. That's my card. Uh, Let's try to get a winning week here, boys.
0: Yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, that has been our show. Thank you for listening, like, and subscribe, and we will see you next week.